This video is brought to you by Devout Decals, makers of reusable Catholic art for your home altar, your bedroom, and your home classroom. Today is the first Sunday in Lent, a season of penance and almsgiving. It's remarkable to think that not long ago, it was the season of Christmas and that the Feast of the Nativity was really not that long ago on the calendar. I have for you today a short piece by G.K. Chesterton where he talks about our redemption being born in a cave and the paradoxical nature of that birth, and how the world cannot wrap its mind around the nature of that paradox. He frames it in the Feast of the Nativity, but remember, as we journey in Lent towards the Paschal Feast, remember that our redemption may have been born in a cave, but just as paradoxically, he was also resurrected in a cave as well, and his ultimate triumph is the biggest contradiction for the modern mind to grasp of all contradictions. So think about what Chesterton says here and apply it to Easter because the Nativity and the Resurrection are linked both in events and in the way they challenge modernity. Turned Inside Out by G.K. Chesterton, an excerpt from his classic work, The Everlasting Man. A massive legend in literature, which increases and will never end, has repeated and rung the changes on that single paradox that the hands that made the sun and stars were too small to reach the huge heads of the cattle. Upon this paradox, we might almost say, upon this jest, all the literature of our faith is founded. It is at least like a jest in this, that it is something which the scientific critic cannot see. He laboriously explains the difficulty which we have always defiantly and almost derisively exaggerated, and mildly condemns as improbable something that we have almost madly exalted as incredible as something that would be much too good to be true, except that it is true when that contrast between the cosmic creation and the little local infancy has been repeated, reiterated, underlined, emphasized, exulted in, sung, shouted, roared, not to say howled, in a hundred thousand hymns, carols, rhymes, rituals, pictures, poems, and popular sermons. It may be suggested that we hardly need a higher critic to draw our attention to something a little odd about it, especially one of the sort that seems to take a long time to see a joke, even his own joke. But about this contrast and combination of ideas, one thing may be said here, because it is relevant to the whole thesis of this book. The sort of modern critic of whom I speak is generally much impressed with the importance of education and life, and the importance of psychology and education. That sort of man is never tired of telling us that first impressions fix character by the law of causation and he'll become quite nervous if a child's visual sense is twisted by the wrong colors on a gallowog, or his nervous system prematurely shaken by a cacophonous rattle. Yet he will think us very narrow-minded. If we say that this is exactly why there really is a difference between being brought up as a Christian and being brought up as something else, the difference is that every Catholic child has learned from pictures and even every Protestant child from stories this incredible combination of contrasted ideas as one of the very first impressions on his mind. It is not merely a theological difference, it is a psychological difference which can outlast any theologies. It really is, as that sort of scientist loves to say about anything, not something that can be fixed. Any of those who don't share a faith whose childhood has known a real Christmas has ever afterwards, whether he likes it or not, an association in his mind between the two ideas that most of mankind must regard as remote from each other, the idea of a baby and the idea of unknown strength that sustains the stars. His instincts and imagination can still connect them, when his reason can no longer see the need of a connection, 
For him there will always be some savior of religion about the mere picture of a mother and a baby, some hint of mercy and softening about the mere mention of the dreadful name of God. But the two ideas are not naturally or necessarily combined. They would not be necessarily combined for an ancient Greek or denizen of the Middle Kingdom, even for Aristotle or Confucius. It is more inevitable to connect God with an infant than to connect gravitation with a kitten. It has been created in our minds by Christmas because we are Christians, because we are psychological Christians even when we are not theological ones. In other words, this combination of ideas has emphatically, in the much disputed phrase, altered human nature. There is really a difference between the man who knows it and the man who does not. It may not be a difference of moral worth, for our elder brother might be a worthier according to his lights, but it is a plain fact about the crossing of two particular lights, the conjunction of two stars in our particular horoscope. Omnipotence and impotence, or divinity and infancy, do definitely make a sort of epigram, which a million repetitions cannot turn into a platitude. It is not unreasonable to call it unique. Bethlehem is emphatically a place where extremes meet. Here begins, it is needless to say, another mighty influence for the humanization of Christendom. If the world wanted what is called a non-controversial aspect of Christianity, it would probably select Christmas. Yet it obviously is bound up with what is supposed to be a controversial aspect. I could never at any stage of my opinions imagine why. And the respect paid to the Blessed Virgin. When I was a boy, a more Puritan generation objected to a statue upon my parish church representing the Virgin and Child. After much controversy, they compromised by taking away the child. One would think that this was even more corrupted with mariolatry, unless the mother was counted less dangerous when deprived of the sort of sword. But the practical difficulty is also a parable. You cannot chip away the statue of a mother from all round that of a newborn child. You cannot suspend the newborn child in midair. Indeed, you cannot really have a statue of a newborn child at all. Similarly, you cannot suspend the idea of a newborn child in the void or think of him without thinking of his mother. You cannot visit the child without visiting the mother. You cannot in common human life approach the child except through the mother. If we are to think of Christ in this aspect at all, the other idea follows as it is followed in history. We must either leave Christ out of Christmas or Christmas out of Christ. Or we must admit, if only as we admit it in an old picture, that those holy heads are too near together for the halos not to mingle and cross. It might be suggested, in a somewhat violent image, that nothing had happened in that fold or crack in the great gray hills except that the whole universe had been turned inside out. I mean that all the eyes of wonder and worship which had turned outwards to the largest thing were now turned inward to the smallest. The very image will suggest all that multitudinous marvel of converging eyes that makes so much of the colored Catholic imagery like a peacock's tail. But it is true in a sense that God, who had only been a circumference, was seen as a center, and a center is infinitely small. It is true that the spiritual spiral henceforward works inwards instead of outwards, and in that sense is centripetal and not centrifugal. The faith becomes, in more ways than one, a religion of little things, but its traditions in art and literature and popular fable have quite sufficiently attested, as has been said, this particular paradox of the divine being in the cradle. Perhaps they have not so clearly emphasized the significance of the divine being in the cave. Curiously enough, indeed, tradition has not very clearly emphasized the cave. It is a familiar fact that the Bethlehem scene has been represented in every possible setting of time and country, of landscape and architecture, and it is a wholly happy and admirable fact that men have conceived it as quite different according to their different individual traditions and tastes. But while all have realized that it was stable, not so many have realized that it was a cave. Some critics have even been so silly as to suppose that there was some contradiction between the stable and the cave, in which case they know not much about caves or stables in the Holy Land. 
As they see differences that are not there, it is needless to add that they do not see differences that are there. When a well-known critic says, for instance, that Christ being born in a rocky cavern is like Mithras having sprung alive out of a rock, sounds like a parody upon comparative religion, there is such a thing as the point of a story, even if a story in the sense of a lie. And the notion of a hero appearing like Pallas from the brain of Zeus, mature and without a mother, is obviously the very opposite of the idea of a god being born like an ordinary baby, and entirely dependent on a mother. Whichever ideal we might prefer, we should surely see that they are contrary ideals. It is as stupid to connect them because they both contain a substance called stone as to identify the punishment of the deluge with the baptism in the Jordan, because they both contain a substance called water. Whether as a myth or a mystery, Christ was obviously conceived as born in a hole in the rocks primarily because it marked the position of one outcast and homeless. Nevertheless, it is true, as I have said, that the cave has not been so commonly or so clearly used as a symbol as the other realities that surrounded the first Christmas. And there you have it. If you have not read The Everlasting Man, I highly recommend you find a copy of it. It is considered one of the greatest works of Catholic apologetics of the 20th century, and it was instrumental in C.S. Lewis returning to his faith. As the story goes, J.R.R. Tolkien gave his friend C.S. Lewis a copy of the book. And after reading it, Lewis returned to his Anglican faith. He never came home to Rome. He never crossed the Tiber, which is unfortunate, but Chesterton's work is an incredibly rich work that challenges our thinking, even if we have the faith, so I cannot recommend it highly enough. Let me know what you thought of this in the comments, please. And as always, pray for the Church. I'm Anthony Stein. Ave Maria.